This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. On the outside now, it's Temperance Hill with Codex. Those four now vying for the lead. Rock Hill native on the rail has the lead by a neck. Genuine risk on the outside, moving on the leader. Farther out is Temperance Hill. They're into the stretch, three across the track. Genuine risk between horses on the outside. Temperance Hill on the rail, it's Rock Hill native. Those three continue to fight for the lead. Rock Hill native on the rail has a narrow lead of ahead. Genuine risk on the outside. Genuine risk now takes the lead by a nose. Temperance Hill is right there. Temperance Hill now takes the lead. It's Temperance Hill, Arkansas Derby winner, taking the lead, going off by two. The Philly Genuine Risk is second, and Rock Hill native third. Temperance Hill in front. Marshall Cassidy with the call of the 1980 Belmont Stakes, won by Temperance Hill for trainer Joe Canty, who passed away this week at the age of 82. Coming up, Dale and Tim remember Joe Canty and look back on some of his top horses. Plus, did jockey Javier Castellano receive the biggest Eclipse Award snub of all time? And does racing need to do more to protect horses and jockeys during morning training? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. On last week's show, guys, we spent a lot of time talking about the different Eclipse Award categories and whether or not we thought certain horses would make it into the mix. And now we know the finalists for the 2023 Eclipse Awards. They were announced on Saturday. And except for Horse of the Year, that's the only category that will not be announced until the actual Eclipse Award ceremony on January 25th. My question to you is, which three horses should be named as Horse of the Year finalists when that is announced later this month. Timmy, what do you think? This is going to be a very interesting um, reveal, I think, because there's only three spots, and there's four, maybe five horses that are deserving to be in there. I mean, Cody's Wish, my three were Cody's Wish, White Abario, and Idiomatic. I, didn't, I left out up to the mark who, you know, the turf horse who, you know, a lot of people were thinking if he had won the uh, turf, he would have been the horse of the year. But, um, you, you know, the Cody's Wish story, because of the backstory, and some people might think I'm, think I'm wrong on this, but the story itself, the backstory is something that's going to get him into the top three. And also he, you know, he repeated as the uh, Dirt Mile winner, and he won three grade ones. I mean, Idiomatic won eight and nine for Brad Cox. Three grade ones won the the distaff of the Breeders' Cup. Um, I think she has to be one of the finalists. I don't know if she'll get horse of the year because she didn't face males. And White Abario, the Breeders' Cup Classic and the Whitney winner, won three of five. I mean, you can you can make a case for all these horses, but you can also punch holes in each of them too. But the, for the for my three, I'm saying Cody's Wish, Idiomatic, and White Abario, and someone's going to be a, 
disappointed uh, they're not in it and up to the mark is going to be the one that it's disappointed for my ballot. And, you know, some people might have thought Elite Power, the sprint, repeat sprint winner, could have gotten some uh, some some juice to be in the finalists. But uh, those five, but the three I had were Cody, Idiomatic, and White Abario. It's a tough category. It is tough this year, but I think it's a match race. I think it's Cody's wish or White Abario. Um, I would put up to the mark my third if I had to put a third, but I think it's a match race. I think one of those two horses is going to win it. Uh, I, my personal is White Abario. I mean, he beat Cody when they went head-to-head. I know it was around two turns, but he did beat him, and he won the Whitney, and he won the the Classic in a, an impressive way. So I think it's White Abario's race to lose, but I think it's a match race. We're going to find out what voters – how much stock they put into the head-to-head matchup. Dale, you bring up a great point that White Abario beat Cody's Wish on the square, and that carries a lot of weight when you're talking about a wide-open field like this, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it does. And I think if you if you put them all in the same race, going to Mama 16th even, I think that who's going to be the favorite? Be White Abario. But Cody did beat him in the Met Mile. I know it's the mile, but uh, yeah, that, that that race does carry weight. I just think you should should weight two turn horses a little a little better in this in the course of the year. I really want to get idiomatic into the mix like Timmy did, but Timmy, it, without her facing males at some point during that brilliant campaign last year, it's hard to include her as horse of the year. Oh, I agree, uh, but I put her in my top three. Um, it was either for me, it was either her or up to the mark. And the thing that pushed me to her side was that she won a race on Breeders' Cup Day, which is the day. And, you know, uh, up to the mark ran great in the turf. He just didn't win. That's true. But if you, if you just go with who is the best horse of last year, I think it's White Abario. He was the best horse on two days for sure. Yep. After Dutro took over. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I mean, I can't remember the last time there was this much discussion about who was going to be horse of the year. Usually it's a slam dunk, isn't it? Usually there's somebody that's been very dominant an older horse, but yeah, you're right. Do you think we'll ever see a year where the horse of the year is a sprinter like elite power? That's, uh, you never say never. You never say never, but I don't think there should be. I think it's a. I think that I like classic two-turn racing. I think it's the best of, and shows the best horses. I mean, I think for a sprinter to win, you'd have to have a sprinter that absolutely dominant, and then you have uh, a, a year of alphabet soup in the the older horse division in two turns, where everyone was beating everybody else. But uh, um, for some reason, sprinters don't get the big-time recognition that sometimes they deserve. Well, again, those finalists for Horse of the Year will be announced at the Eclipse Awards ceremonies January 25th. That is the only category where we do not know the three finalists. Topic Mike, number two. three finalists? I had Cody's Wish, Elite Power, and White Abaria. Wow, okay. So you did put the sprinter in there. I did. Yep. Again, okay. if Idiomatic had squared off against the boys, I'd would have leaned her direction, but she did not. So I went with elite power. 
Okay. Yep. Topic two comes via email from Craig in Boynton Beach, Florida. And again, we love hearing from our listeners. So if you have a topic you want Dale and Tim to debate here on the show, email that topic to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and we will work it in in the weeks ahead. But Craig wants to know, he said, listen, it's certainly no surprise to see Alex Concepcion's name among the finalists for Apprentice Jockey, but Craig does question whether or not it's right for him to be included considering his two 30-day suspensions for careless riding, both of which resulted in rival horses falling. And he's very concerned that rewarding Axel um, as a finalist could validate his careless, careless techniques and set a bad precedent. Dale, what do you think? Your thoughts? No, I don't think they were malicious. I don't think he did it on purpose by any means. And he got punished. He got his days. I don't think you can take away from the rest of the year that he had. He ended up missing a lot of time on his bug because of those accidents, and he still had a great year. I, to me, he's still the Eclipse Award winning apprentice rider. He's a good guy. He didn't mean to do him. It was, and you have to give a little leeway to these apprentice jocks. You know, I put Axel on top for my on my uh, for the apprentice. I mean, the kid when these accidents have, he's eighteen years old. And I'm, I'm not saying that uh, you know he. He, yeah, as Dale said, he didn't do it on purpose. He's a young rider. He made two big mistakes, and unfortunately, in one of those incidents, Oars died. Um, but I, the guy did, you know, he had over a thousand mounts. He had about two hundred wins. Um, there's a talent there. Yeah, he's got. He's going to learn from these mistakes. And unfortunately, these these are the kind of mistakes that uh, you know really get amped up in the public eye because of, you know, the way the the game is now and everybody is quick to, you know, uh, rip into somebody for a mistake. Um, he's not out there trying to hurt anybody. I don't think any rider is, and including Irad Ortiz. He's not out there trying to hurt people. They're aggressive riders. And, you know, when they're you're, you're riding for bread on the table, you know, you have to be aggressive. Um, but I don't think that this... Sh- those two incidents, as bad as they were, within a week of each other, should cost him an eclipse. I mean, he did have a good year overall. That's an interesting point. I guess if you were going to take the stance that he shouldn't be included as an apprentice jockey because of those two suspensions, then you'd have to look at Arad Ortiz Jr. and the tremendous year he had. He's an aggressive rider. He had his fair share of suspension issues, and you'd have to say, okay, he can't be included as champion jockey, which just sounds ridiculous to me. Absolutely does. Yeah. And I would hold it more against a journeyman, though, that's rough riding instead of was just a little bit careless. And it was unfortunate the way the incident's unplayed. But it's a good question. It's something to think about. It was a, it was a very good question when I read the script today. Believe it or not, I read the script. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, it got me thinking a little bit. So that's one of the questions I did think on, but it wasn't just off the cuff. I think the kid you, deserves the clip award. Yeah, as a trainer, would you keep a guy off of a horse after instance like that? Uh, there's there's, there's one jock out there that I've kept off a lot of horses because I think he's kind of careless, right? And I won't mention his name. But not a kid like uh, Axel. That, and, I, and him and I sat out at lunch one day and talked about it. And he was... You know, he, he he hated that it happened. He was remorseful about it. And he did his time. He didn't fight it and didn't, you know, he went and did his days. And 
it costs him a lot because uh, you know you only have your bug once, and it costs him a lot of time sitting on the sidelines. That's that's dead time. You don't get you don't get your bug back for those days you miss. Because that was he was going to move to Kentucky, and he, that cost him some time in Kentucky. Correct. It cost him almost the entire meet at Churchill. I think he got to ride the last weekend or something. And yeah, he was there working horses every morning, doing what he had to do to try to get better and make sure those things don't happen. Let me float this idea by you guys. We don't have a jockey school or any kind of minor leagues where riders young riders can learn and develop their skills before they start riding in the afternoons on the big stage um is that something that's needed i know chris mccarron had his jockey school for several years but that's no longer in existence is is that something that the sport should look at and consider some type of either minor league program or some type of educational program where riders can learn, make their mistakes in a safe environment, and then when they get to the actual races in the afternoons, they're polished, and you hope that those things don't happen like we saw with Axel. In a perfect world, you'd have a riding school, yes. And, you know, I've thought a lot of times, if I had a a kid that was dead set on being a jockey, I might send him to Panama or Puerto Rico to the school to try to learn. They could learn Spanish and riding both at the same time. And I only know of one person that ever left the U.S. and went down there. I think that was uh, Ibar Coa's son. I think he went to Panama to learn to be a jockey and, and went to the Lafitte Pinkas school. But it would be great to have one here. I guess it's just not economically feasible. Right. I mean, you got, you know, if someone were to go to a jockey school, it's, it's not like you can open the doors up and say, come on in for free. And I don't know how many of these kids coming growing up have the, the the means to pay the money for that and um I, frankly i don't know if there's anybody in the u.s that would want to start one of these chris mccarran did an awesome job with his um and it's too bad it isn't around anymore because you know i talked to several people that have gone through it and they just raved about it and what they learned and you know there's but they also say there's nothing like learning like you learn by experience and you know, that's a lot of these guys get thrown into the fire right off and they start, start in the mornings and they, they go from there. But it's, you know, sure. It would be, I think it would be very advantageous if there was some kind of school or a minor league kind of deal, but I don't know where it would come from. Just some way for young you know, riders to learn their craft before they start riding in the afternoons you know to make their mistakes in a safer environment somehow some way i know when you're dealing with animals it's it's very difficult but to come up with some type of protocol for young riders to to go through whether it's a school or whether it's just um a a, a morning teaching sessions that they have to well, go through I, them, I don't know most of them do go through morning teaching it's usually they start at a training center or farm on horses that are being broken uh like Chris Antley, he came from where I break all my horses in South Carolina at Frank Smith's Ellery Training Center. They usually start at a training center someplace. Then they come to the racetrack and work for somebody. And there's a lot of protocol. They have to be okayed by the outriders. They have to go to the gate, and they watch uh, races with the starters, and then they have to be approved from the gate. So it's not like they just show up and become jockeys. There is a protocol in place, but there's okay. not an actual school that they go to. Right, well, How many of them just started as exercise riders? Well, uh, even though most all exercise riders start on a farm somewhere, hardly anybody starts. Yeah. I don't know if anybody started riding on a racetrack. You know, you start riding on the farm for somebody, a training center where there's not as much action, and then you move to the racetrack. 
Well, Craig, that is a great question, and we really appreciate you taking time to email the show with that question. Again, if you have a question you want Dale and Tim to debate here on the program, email it to me, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net, and we will get it worked in in the weeks ahead. Time now to say hello to our good friend Nick Zito, and you tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? All right, I wonder what Nikki would think of this one. Last week, we debated the possibility of jockey Javier Castellano winning the Eclipse Award for champion jockey, and it was a very real conversation. I think all of us thought that he was deserving of being in the conversation. I mentioned that I gave him my top vote over Erod Ortiz Jr. Surprisingly, the Hall of Famer didn't even find himself among the three finalists when those were announced last Saturday. Guys, did the voters get this one right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Dale? Hundred percent wrong. I mean, I don't know how that could happen. I think, uh, I, I mean, how could it happen? This guy had a great year and won two legs of the Triple Crown. He definitely should have been nominated. I don't know if he would have won if he could have beaten Irad, but I can't believe that he wasn't on the list. Like you say, he even got your top vote. And you, yep. you made a very compelling case for him to win. Nine <clears throat> I had him in my top three for sure. I had him second. Um, I was absolutely shocked that he didn't make the final three. I mean, when you win the Derby and the Belmont Travers, the Jockey Club Gold Cup, um, that that is one heck of a year. You know, the you look at the the three finalists. It's Irad, Tyler Gaffleyone, and um, Flavian Pratt, who all had great years. But it seems like a lot of the voters just look at the stats. And, and they picked the top three in earnings, and those were the top three in earnings. You know, I, there, are, there are different intangibles I think you have to deal with when you talk about having the best year. And if you're going to tell me that Javier Castellano didn't have one of the best years as a jockey on the track, I'm going to call you crazy because he definitely deserves to be in the top three. I don't know if he would have beat Irad like Dale said because I picked I, I picked Irad to win it. But to, to not have Javier in the top three is just... Um, Insane. I'd say the biggest Eclipse Award snub of all time. Got to rank up. That's saying something. I'd have to go back and start looking that up. (laughs) Yeah, I I know. (laughs) There's some more research for you, Tim. You like research. (laughs) I don't know. I'll I'll spend all afternoon on this one. But, uh, you know, of all time, I don't know if I go that far. But it, it, it's certainly one that's uh, uh, a head-scratcher and an eye-opener because Javier Castellano had a fantastic year and should have been rewarded as being one of the top three. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We'll bring Nick Zito back again next week for that right or wrong segment on I Ask, They Answer. But we move on to two more topics before we wrap up with Dale and Tim making their final point of the week. And, guys, this one, kind of a downer subject, if you will, because tragedy struck again this past week with training accidents at both Fairgrounds and Belmont Park. At Fairgrounds, grade one winner two Emmys was euthanized after being sideswiped by another horse at the quarter pole. And at Belmont, you had Nashua Stakes winner Where's Chris colliding with multiple stakes winner or with multiple winner Constitution Lawyer near the 7 eighths pole. Accidents, as we know, can occur in any situation, whether it's in racing or it's in life. But should our sport be doing more to ensure the safety of horses and riders during morning training? And, Dale, I'm going to come to you first on this one. 
I don't know what else it can do. Uh, I mean, it looks like chaos on the racetrack when you watch horses train, but it's pretty much organized chaos. We got three outriders sitting out there that, that on the ponies that, that they will get on somebody. If you're jogging, you have to be going, you, you know, you jog the wrong way. If you're galloping, coming the right way, it, it's uh, from the rail out on how fast you're going. Uh, you got rules and times that you can jog the wrong way. You can't gallop the wrong way. And there's veterinarians out there every day watching the horses train. I mean, these are animals and things happen. I mean, it's very unfortunate. The good thing is they're very rare. We just had to have happen to have two, two high profile ones this week, but that that's, it's a rare situation because it is organized chaos out there and they do everything they can. The riders have, have to wear their helmets. They have to wear protective vests and, uh, you know, we're talking about the jockeys earlier. If, if, if an outrider sees a rider they don't think is, is should be on the racetrack yet, they'll rule them up. They'll tell them, you got to go back to the farm and learn how to ride better before you come back to the racetrack. You know, I've thought about this question since I read it, and I don't know what else there is they could do. Yeah. You know, it's, again, it's, this is part of the game that uh, that that is unfortunate. I mean, if you're going to, you're not going to be able to with the way animals are. You don't know how they're going to react to different things, and you know there's there's always a sense of unknown of what a, what an animal is going to do on a, on the track. Uh, if I was going to think of anything that might that I might want to change, maybe you limit how many horses can be on the track at one time. If that means maybe the training hours go longer, so be it. If 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 they think that might be something that could bring more safety to tra- to training. Maybe that's something. Um, you know, because I've been at racetracks when you, it looks like there's a hundred horses or more on the track at, at one time, and you know that's an invitation for disaster. And thank God it doesn't happen more. But um, maybe to to in- increase the training hours to maybe noon. I mean, I know you're racing at one o'clock, but maybe you, you, you move the post time back a little bit, but if it's something for safety, I think that maybe something like uh, limiting how many horses can be on the track at, the, at one time, maybe that would be something they could look into. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what what they could do. I know you know at Triple Crown time they do have a special period yes. of, of the day that only Derby or Preakness or Belmont horses or or the Oaks horses can train. And I don't know if it's helping up, but that was almost a major accident prepping for the Derby one year is why they changed that. A horse got loose and almost ran into a Derby horse. And, right. But then you got to tell somebody you got to train at this time and another one at that time. You know, we have, we have two breaks at almost every racetrack you go to. So you're on a freshly herald racetrack. So the racetrack's safe. Things are going to happen, but they happen on the racetrack. But they also happen in the fields and on the farms and, uh, and horses run through, running each other out in the fields, or they run through the fences, and, and things just happen. Dale, I don't does, think you're Tim's, ever going to get it down to zero. Does Tim's idea have any legs? Is it possible in any way to to space it out more so that you have fewer horses on the track throughout the morning, but still get the same number of horses training each and every morning? I don't know. I don't, I've heard people talk about it before, but I don't know how it would work, and how the logistics would work on that. It would seems like we got enough rules right now but uh, believe me it, it was just those were two freak accidents they just happened to happen in the same week yep there's yep. a and lot it, to put in to keeping it keeping it safe out there 
Yeah, it's a topic that leads to this conversation. I think it's an important conversation, and our condolences going to the connections of each and every one of those horses, and thankfully the riders of those horses were all okay. For sure. One final topic, and this one involves trainer Joe Canty, who passed away last week at the age of 82. Canty trained Temperance Hill to a victory over genuine risk in the 1980 Belmont Stakes and won numerous greatest stakes races with Cox's Ridge and Majesty's Prince. Guys, what things come to mind when you hear the name Joe Canty and you think about those brilliant horses that he conditioned? Timmy, you want it first? Yeah, I I remember 1980 was the the first year I was on the backstretch. Um, I was working at the Saratogian newspaper, and you know I didn't know. Uh, I mean, I was. I didn't know the difference between a quarter pole and a flagpole, but I was uh, I was out on the backstretch and Joe Canty. I met him, and you know he had the big horse Temperance Hill, who shocked the world when he won the Belmont at fifty three to fifty three to one. Um, beat, beat genuine risk, so he became a go to guy for me for that, that first that first summer. And he couldn't have been nicer to me, and you know I'm sure he knew I was a greenhorn and. But he accepted all my questions. Many, maybe some of them were, maybe all of them he thought were stupid. But uh, he was a good guy, and you know, when then he won the Travers, he didn't he didn't go up fifty three to one? I think he paid nine bucks. But uh, you know, he Temperance Hill, one of those horses, those throwback horses of that time. He had seventeen starts that uh, that his three year old season. Um, when he won the Belmont, it was his ninth start, but he was just a very good horseman. And, you know, when he, the, 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 when he won the Travers and the, the Belmont, those are the only times he ever started a horse in either one of those races. And he retired early. He went back to South Carolina. Um, just, uh, he figured I, he got, he did what he wanted to do in New York. And I think he retired in 87 and he was just a class guy and, um, you know, uh, I'll always uh, be thankful for the way he treated me when I went, went to speak with him my first year on the barn area. Yeah, I never got to meet him, but uh, I tell you, it shows you the impact of the game when people are still talking about you and you haven't been around for 30 years. He, uh, you know, not a day goes by out there on a the tractor, and not a day, but sometime during a meet, somebody will bring up a story about something he did with a horse that was really good. I was always, as a kid, a fan of Cox's Ridge and ended up training quite a few of his offspring. Ended up being a great sire. And not to mention his wife was Chelsea Canny. They, they mm-hmm. were a good team that worked together and went on to be a, one of the first great analysts of, of horse racing. So I know probably the first female analyst in horse racing. What a good job she did. But everybody that knew him seemed to really like him and, and always talked about how well he took care of his horses and what a good horse trainer he was. Yeah, you know where he was spending his time recently. He was living in South Carolina, Camden, South Carolina, and his Hermitage Farm Shooting Sports Gun Club is where he was spending a lot of his time. And people might not realize that as good of a horse trainer that he was, uh, Joe Canty is also a member of the Sporting Clay Hall of Fame. So he was pretty good with a gun, too. I didn't know that. That's just that's something I didn't. I'll ask Sugar about it tomorrow. I think they were friends. Yeah. Yep. Well, Joe Canty remembered on this Saturday morning, and he will be missed, and his contributions to the sport and to other sports, by the way, uh, certainly going to be remembered. 
All right, it is that time of the show where Dale and Tim make one final point before we wrap things up. And, Timmy, why don't you take it first this week, my friend? I see that uh, Churchill Downs is up the purse of the Kentucky Derby to five million smackaroos. That's uh, uh, an increase of over since it was three million the last few years. And I'm just starting to wonder, how long will it be before the Derby is worth $10 million? Just wondering. Michael yeah, Holy wants it to some... be tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, it's worth a lot more than $10 million for if you win it, believe me that. But uh, they can have the, if I ever won one, they can have the first. Just give me that little trophy. <laughs> um, that's it, huh? Just give you the trophy. Yeah, well, that, that's enough for me, and I might hang it up. But uh, I want to take my moment and, and tip my hat to the Outriders since we're talking about safety. And a lot of people don't even know they're out there or who they are. But they're the guys that ride around on the ponies and monitor the racetrack and keep everything safe. And if you've ever seen a good Outrider catch a loose horse, there's no telling how many of these incidents could take place if it wasn't for them out there. It's a dangerous job. It's a very important job. And they're an unsung hero of our game. And I just want to tip my hat to them. Yep, so many good ones out there, and they protect so many of the horses and the other riders that we see out there each and every week and every morning on the racetrack. They do a great job. Guys, I really appreciate it. Um, Good takes on the show here this morning. We're going to do it all over again next week. Enjoy the weekend. All right, talk to you later. If you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net, and I will work it into the program for you. I Ask They Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network.